0: There's something about what Jesus does that reveals who Jesus is. Well, good morning, Cross United. I'm so glad you have joined us for this online message. We're going to be in John 10, 31 through 42. So if you have your Bible or your app, go ahead and turn or tap over to John 10, 31 through 42. It was a cold New Jersey night when there was an older man sitting in the stands of a pickup basketball game and he was sitting there watching uh, these young guys in their 20s playing basketball and it was night and there was uh, stadium lights and this you know recreational basketball court and one of the one of the guys playing ends up twisting an ankle and, and this this one guy, Kevin says, well my uncle, my uncle can play a little bit and he's older, but, but he could play. And so he calls his uncle out there and his uncle's in a, you know, a big hoodie and sweatpants and some shoes. And he kind of shuffles a little bit toward, toward the game. And he's got, you know, a gray beard and gray hair and he's dribbling and moving a little bit and shooting up shots that are totally air balls or hitting off the backboard and not even close to going in. And everyone's kind of like rolling their eyes and like, what's this, what's this whole guy doing out here playing with us? And, All of a sudden, things start to change, and uh, this old man starts to move a little bit better and starts to make some shots, and all of a sudden, he's dribbling, and he's cutting, and he's dunking, and he's doing things that would be unbelievable for anyone at a pickup basketball game on a cold New Jersey night, let alone someone who looks like he's probably in his 60s and had just been barely moving and dribbling and shooting you know a few minutes before. Well there was something going on and maybe maybe you've seen there's there's a video of this there is something going on there that explains why this man was able to do what he was able to do. Well, that's similar to what's happening in the text of scripture in John 10:31 through 42. There's something about what Jesus does that reveals who Jesus is. What Jesus does reveals who Jesus is. Though this man looked like an old man who was past his prime, that actually wasn't the whole story. And Jesus may have looked like a man that was just like any other man, but what he was doing in the presence of those who were following him and seeing him and watching him showed that that wasn't the whole story either. If you got your Bibles there in in John 10, 31, I just want to remind you of the context here. So uh, in John 10, um, verse 1 through 18, Jesus has explained that he is the good shepherd and the gate for the sheep. And that's following on the heels of John 9, where he's healed this man who was born blind. And, uh, and and now he's in this dialogue, this discussion with the Jewish leaders again. He, there's been discussions all throughout the Gospel of John, and now things have kind of come come to a culminating point in John 10:30, where Jesus says, "I and the Father, we are one." Now, now the Jews completely understood what he was saying. They completely understood the significance of this claim. Um, just as they had in chapter five, verse 18, where um, he claims to have equality with God by claiming that God is his father, and they they're seeking to put him to death. And then in John 858 where he says, before Abraham was, I am, and they pick up stones to execute him. Here in John 10:31 we see, again, the Jews picked up rocks to stone him. Jesus, they thought, had blasphemed the name of God. They, he had committed treason against the covenant Lord. So they thought his hearers, they had judged, deliberated, and now were mobbing together to lynch him, to execute him. In in Jewish law, um, they 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 would have um, had normally to go through a process of a adjudication and a court and a, and a pronouncement but but there was scripture that gave them reason to think that they were doing the right thing. Leviticus 24:15 and 16 says, "And tell the Israelites if anyone curses God, he will bear the consequences of his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord must be put to death. The whole community is to stone him. If he blasphemes the name, he is to be put to death whether the resident alien or the native" And so they think they're they're executing justice here, and, and because um, one commentator notes that um, because the Roman system of justice and, and government had overtaken the people of Israel and, and the, the land of Palestine and the land of Judea and Jerusalem, they didn't have recourse to their own courts, their own Jewish system of law, and so... Sometimes what would happen is these these mob, these mobs would break out to bring justice um, and to stone someone who had committed blasphemy. Uh, But it was really more like a lynch mob. It was a mob uh, of people who were gathered together to put this man to death. And, and I just I can just see them there. They're picking up these stones and they' and they're shifting their weight to their back foot like a like a pitcher in a baseball game or an outfielder trying to throw the ball and and they got their stone and, and it's lifted up and they, they, their arm is is bent back and stretched back and they're about to start throwing the stones when Jesus stops them. He, whoa whoa wait, 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 look what he says in verse 32. I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these works are you stoning me? And they're there and they pause, fingers still curled around the stone, their arms backstretched, ready to sling it for holy war to fight for the name of the Lord. And he's confronted them with the sort of the, the, the ridiculousness of what they're about to do. Um, and he, and he's confronting them with three things. With, with three arguments, an argument from Revelation, an argument, an argument from action, and an argument from deity. First, the argument from Revelation is, he says, I've shown you, I have shown you, I've shown you things. I've revealed to you something that no man could have revealed to you. I, I pulled back the curtain between creature and creator. The, he, he says, I've revealed to you something marvelous and he does, says that secondly through the through the actions i've taken through the works i've done he's poured out new wine from waters of ritual purity in john 2 he p- pulled back a royal officer's son from the edge of death in john 4 he delivered a man who had been disabled for nearly four decades and healed him in john 5 He he took a a boy's bag lunch and multiplied it into a meal for thousands in John 6. He he stepped onto the sea like it was a sidewalk and walked across the storm in in John 6. He washed the inborn blindness away from a man with a a, a mixture of mud made from his own spit and the Judean dust. And And he put it on the man's eyes and the man received his sight. Um, I remember when LeBron came to Miami to play for the Heat, and they had the big press conference and the big celebration, and and infamously there's there he and Dwayne Wade and and Chris Bosh are there, and and they're saying not one, not two, not three, not four, like they're gonna win all these championships. Well, like a true and better uh, LeBron, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> says not one, not two, not three, not four, not five. He just says, for which of these good, noble, righteous works are you going to stone me? Which of the things I've done merit the death penalty? And of course, the answer implicitly is none of them. These are all amazing and marvelous things. The Jews who were watching him, that they should have known that's the third thing. Revelation is the first thing I've shown you. Then action, good works. And then third, deity from the Father. There's no other place these things could have come from. And And the Jews should have known. They should have known that Jesus had come from the Father. But they didn't. We aren't stoning you for a good work, the Jews answered. But for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. Again, I can see them there. They're still, their thighs and their calves on the back foot is tense as their weights lean back and they got that stone there ready to fly. And they're like, no, 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 no. It's not because you did these good things. It's because of what you said. And what you said is you are just a man and you have claimed equality with God. They loved his works But they hated his words. That's a a lesson for us. It's easy to love the works of Jesus, what Jesus can do for you, and actually hate the words of Jesus. That is what Jesus asks of you. No, 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 they said, no, no, no. We know our Bibles, and if you blaspheme the name, you deserve death. Like I said, like we saw in Leviticus 24, 15, and 16. Uh, they are single issue stoners. He says they say you can do all the amazing things you want, Jesus, but when you blaspheme the name, it's game over. Like I said, they they perfect sometimes people say Jesus never claimed to be God. They, someone will say again, you know, they'll argue against the Bible that Jesus never claimed to be God. Well they they they've either never read or never understood the story of at least this passage of scripture because the jews who were there they had no doubt about what the significance of jesus's claim they had no doubt that jesus was claiming equality with god we saw that last time in we 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 did a, an exposition of the trinity and an explanation of the, the nature of God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in John ten thirty. So Jesus isn't claiming to be another God along with Yahweh, but he is claiming to be God along with the Father, one divine being. And before they can start slinging their stones, Jesus, Jesus gives his defense. He doesn't just slip away, um, which, which he will do in a little bit, but first he offers them an invitation even in the midst of them stoning him. Like, like remember when Jesus went to the cross and and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Just the, the tender compassion in the heart of Christ to reveal himself and, and to offer yet one more opportunity to these people who hated him. Look what he says in 34 through 38. Jesus answered them, isn't it written in your law? I said, you are gods. If he called those whom the word of, to whom the word of God came God's, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say you are blaspheming to the one the Father set apart and sent into the world because I said, I am the Son of God. If I'm not doing the Father's works, don't believe me. But if I am doing them and you don't believe me, believe the works. This way you will know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. So, They're using scripture to justify their lynch mob because of the the verse that says, if you blaspheme the name, you should stone the person who's committed blasphemy. But Jesus is, he's revealing their hypocrisy because they're they're seeking to rigorously apply one part of scripture, but not listen to another part of scripture. Now, sometimes the law refers to the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch or the Torah, Um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Um, But here he means it just as a kind of like a synonym for the the whole scripture. Because in in Jewish life, the word law wasn't just like codes and regulations, but it was instruction from the Lord. Torah is what it was called. So when he says, your law, he's referring to the entire Hebrew scripture we would call the Old Testament. And, And he's coming to them and saying, you're cherry-picking, you're cherry-picking parts of the Bible. And then he quotes them a verse from Psalm 82, verse 6, which says, I said, you are gods. And that's the first half of the verse. The second half continues, you are all sons of the Most High. Psalm 82 envisions God standing in a divine assembly. Um, and, And there's a lot of debate over who these entities are there the, the the little G gods that are referenced there the the word God in Hebrew uh, was was uh, had a wider semantic range than what we think of as the word God and it could be used of human rulers um, or or angelic beings and it can also be used of God himself and so, so some some scholars think that this verse, uh, it's, it's, it's not referring to people, the entities that are actually gods, like we think of God, but, but they're either angelic beings or they're rulers or judges or they're the people of Israel. And, and the, the point is, um, you know, we could argue about which one of those it is, but the, the point is the same no matter what. Um, and, and that is that God is standing with these human or angelic rulers— and, and referring to them as gods because of the power that has been entrusted to them by God. So, so they are as if they are God to those they, they lead and, and, and rule over. So, so like God had said to Mo- Moses, I will make you as God to Pharaoh. Not that Moses is God, but that he represents God. And th- this psalm is a confrontation against these rulers, against these leaders, for abusing their power and privileging the privileged and marginalizing the vulnerable. And, and the psalm is calling them to advocate for the oppressed. It says their minds are darkened and, and the earth shakes with their failure. And that's the first five verses of the psalm. And then at this point comes the verse where Jesus is quoting to the Jewish leaders who are trying to execute him, trying to lynch him. And says, you are God, sons of the most God had entrusted them with power, um, with so much power that it actually can refer to them as gods, as representatives of God, and as sons of God, inheritors of divine authority. But their failure to exercise their power and their authority honorably and and, and, and in a a holy and godly way— will show that their future will be, in verse 7, you will die like humans and fall like any other ruler, Psalm 82, 7. So so what Jesus is doing by quoting this psalm is, is two things. First, he's bringing a counter charge against them. He defends himself by pointing out that they are interpreting the scripture inconsistently. The, the Jews had a mode of argumentation called call the Homer, um, and, and, or sometimes in Latin, the, the forces, an a fortiori argument, from the lesser to the greater, from the lighter to the heavier. And he's saying, basically, if, if the scripture called these human rulers gods, then in verse— 36 he says, How do you say you are blaspheming to the one the Father set apart and sent into the world because I said I am the Son of God? In other words, if the Scripture can use the word God to refer to these lesser beings, how much more so can it re- use can I use the word God to refer to me since I actually am God the Son? So so he defends himself but by, by, by pointing out there they're inconsistently interpreting scripture, that if these little s sons are called gods in this psalm, how much more so should the unique, only begotten capital S son be called God? Second, he charges them implicitly with the failures of Psalm 82, that they have done what these rulers have done in Psalm 82. They have oppressed those on the margins. They have privileged the powerful. They they have not sought justice for the fatherless and the widow, the poor and the resident alien. They they have failed the people. He charges them with this failure and then sentences them to judgment because verse eight of this Psalm is a pronouncement of judgment. And, And he He gives evidence of the claim to be the sanctified and sent son. Then finally, and this brings us kind of the heart of what he's charging them with by by showing and pointing back to the works that he's done. One of the Jewish leaders of the man who had been healed of his blindness in chapter nine said, if this man, Jesus, were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. John 9, 33. Assess. My actions, he tells them. There's something more going on here. Just like that old man on that cold New Jersey night playing basketball. There's something more going on. If these actions are not from the Father, then don't believe me. But if what I am doing comes from the Father, then you must know who I actually am. Jesus' actions reveal Jesus' identity. What Jesus does reveals who Jesus is. It's the same way today. And he asks the same thing of us today. Assess my actions. Look at what I've done. Look at what Jesus has done in the world. You know, with the COVID shutdown, I um, took the opportunity to do some some reading and listen to some audiobooks and one one of the 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 books that that I really enjoyed was a book called Dominion by Tom Holland about how Christian faith has shaped the world we live in in western society and and uh, and uh, what what Holland does is he traces these various threads of Christian faith and practice which have been woven together to form the fabric of our society and his argument there is our society is fundamentally christian whether whether it realizes it or not it's been shaped by the christian story the the the, the idea that every person should be able to read um that that every person possesses inherent dignity that the poor and the vulnerable should should be cared for and not just left out to die that love is more important than power these are Christian virtues that would not exist without the Christian story. Jesus brought this into the world. But even more, um, if you, you can look at the world we live in and the there's also this brokenness and points to this, that and the other. but, but think about the people you know or even you yourself. Look at the work of Jesus in the lives of real, actual people. I've experienced this firsthand in my family and in my own life. And I sometimes will will stop and pause and think, where would I be without Jesus? And, and, And I think about the type of person I would be, the type of life I would be living without Jesus. And I don't like the ideas that come into my head when I think about that. And maybe you have a story like that, where you, the, the only thing that can explain the life that you're living and the and, and, and the joy, even in the midst of tragedy and financial collapse, the only thing that can explain the hope is the name of Jesus. Maybe Maybe you don't have that personally, but you know someone. You've seen it. Maybe you call it getting... They got religious. But there's a difference. There's something that's changed. And you can't deny the change. Look at what Jesus has done. This is what he says. Jesus says, Look at what I've done. Look at what I'm doing. And if what I'm doing... Can only be explained by the power of God. Then, you will believe and know, know and understand. He says that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. There was a great theologian uh, called John of Damascus, and he was brilliant. He actually um, served uh, and and ministered in the 600s, 700s in a, a muslim ruled context and he wrote wrote a book called the exact Orth- exposition of the orthodox faith and he talks about the trinity in that book and and he explains this this scripture with a word a greek word because he wrote greek called perichoresis now you don't necessarily need to remember that word but the the, the what it means is mutual indwelling that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are distinct persons, but they are also eternally in one another. They mutually indwell one another. God, because God is different than creation, and from humans, we can't be in another person. It's like like when you go to the dentist and they you know are like prodding around in your mouth. Like they're not you know we can't be in another person. But God is different. Each person of the Trinity can fully inhabit and indwell the others. So that what the Father does, the Son and the Spirit do. And what the Son does, the Father and the Spirit do as well. Yet they are somehow distinct. As if there are three sons, not S-O-N-S-U-N, three sons stacked one on top of the others so that there is only a single light, but there is three distinct sons the father is in me and I am in the father and I and the father are one they mean the same thing Thomas Aquinas said that um, and in his commentary on this passage God is different than us the father eternally begets the son and the father and the son eternally breathe out the spirit without time without separation without change without parts or passions without loss or or gain. You see you see the upshot of what Jesus is saying. Look at what I've done so you can see who I am. Look at my actions so you can see my identity. What I do reveals my nature and my nature is divine. I am God. And I am the sanctified and sent incarnate Christ. I am the son who took human nature into his person so that I am now one person with two natures standing before you. He is the son of the father, the word made flesh. And what they hear as blasphemy is actually simply Jesus witnessing to reality. You will know and understand that I am in the father and the father is in me. These folks, though, they're like Paul's friends in Romans 10. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is for their salvation. I can testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Since they are ignorant of the righteousness of God and have attempted to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted to God's righteousness. I pray constantly for a Romans 10 one heart in our church, a burning passion For their salvation, that we would that we like Paul would would be set that that our hearts would be broken over the the fact that we know people who don't know God. He says in verse two there that they they have a zeal for God. And this this haunting phrase, but not according to knowledge. It's not enough to know God. You must know the right God. Then he gets to the root of the problem in verse three, where he says They are ignorant of the righteousness of God and have attempted to establish their own righteousness. The reason we don't know God is because we want to save ourselves. We want a DIY spirituality. We want a life that we can build for ourselves and call ourselves self-made. We want to save ourselves so we reject the salvation that God offers to us in Christ. And because of that, we can't see God right in front of us. So what Jesus is calling us to is to look and to listen before it's too late, before he leaves and the offers off the table. So he departed again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing earlier, and he remained there. Many came to him and said, John never did a sign, but everything John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. So it turns out that that old man was actually NBA superstar Kyrie Irving in costume, wearing makeup and clothes and hair and a beard that made him look like an old man. He wasn't what he seemed. It's different with Jesus because Jesus didn't just appear to be a man. He was a man. He became a man. There's an ancient heresy called docetism, which means that Jesus only seemed to be a man. That's that's not what's going on. It's not like Jesus was just God in hair and makeup. Now, Jesus was truly, fully, and actually man. But he wasn't just a man. He was God the Son in human nature. Things weren't what they seemed. And he was inviting them to look and to listen and to see who he actually is. Because what he does reveals who he is. (music) that world is springtime.